I had a prolonged cold open where I was going to pretend to be an aged senile professor of Midwestern studies, introducing the plenary session uh, of a Zoom meeting, but I don't have it in me right now. <laughs> so you guys don't get that. I'm sorry. I was going to mute myself in character as if I was losing connection. Um yeah, that's not going to happen. You can imagine what would happen if that were to take place. During the few moments that we have left, I want to talk right down to that in a language that everybody here can easily understand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to High Level Casting. I'm your host today. I am joined by our uh, regular crew of critics. We got Zach, we got Jeremy, we got Doug, and we got Holly. Folks, I think here at High Level Casting, we're interested, as, as you've learned, we're interested in questions of prestige, right? We are looking at media that defines a generation, that, that seeks to ask questions about ourselves and about the world around us. Some people have said today that uh, our myths are, are, are TV and movies, that we have more relationships with Tony Soprano and Captain America than we do with, with Hercules or, or uh, Napoleon. And a show that I think captures this moment more than any is Tom Fontana's Oz. Premiering on HBO in 1997, the show spanned six seasons with 56 episodes and asked for the first time questions of power race, conflict, in a prison setting, which most viewers were not familiar with. In many ways, it pushed the genre to new heights, combining the conventions of stage with television procedural drama. And so today, on this episode of High Level Casting, we're returning to Oz to re-examine this lost classic uh, and to see what it tells us today. So, uh, guys, as a white liberal who is an expert at leaning in, Oz taught me that prison is bad. What do you guys think? Did you guys watch Oz when it premiered? We were probably too young. Like, this was HBO. As, I was very much days. too young. Literally, what are you talking about? <laughs> but we're, doing, we're doing Oz today, right? You know, the, the seminal HBO classic. Yeah. I like the wind-up man made of metal. He's my favorite. I just spent two fucking weeks re-watching Oz. It was, not it, doing Oz? We're, we, 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 with the, the one with oh. the... With, with the tornado. God damn it. With the witches. Oh, shit. Okay, thankfully, I also watched my favorite movie of all time, Return to Oz, 1985, which has nothing to do with the seminal HBO series that, that inspired The Sopranos and The Wire and all this. But uh, yeah, I guess we could talk about that too. Cool. Great. So wait, uh, we watched Return to Oz because I watched Return to Me, the David Duchovny romantic comedy. So just pretend those movies are the same thing. Okay, I think I can do that. 
Okay. All right. I'm done with these jokes. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> All right. So put that one in your tie five, Ethan. That was a real winner. Yeah. Yeah. That was my, that was my, my B plot cold open. So, uh, I always got a B track. All right. So I wanted to, for some reason, this movie has been on my mind in a lot of ways. Movies just get on my mind sometimes, but you know, we watched Batman last time on this show and if I could say anything about Batman, it's a movie where it's aesthetic and sort of the aesthetic story it tells sort of overwhelms everything else. And I'd say it reminded me a lot for some weird reason, uh, the, the strange fraught associations of my brain sparked and reminded me of a little movie I watched. I must have been, what, eight or nine? I don't know the first time I watched it. Uh, but I watched Return to Oz as a child. Did you guys watch this? Like, is this your first time seeing it? Or did you watch it as a little baby child? I have never heard of this movie before five years ago. I'd say around five. I can't quite recall, but I remember getting some exposure to like being told I should, I, I should watch it because it's like a weird film. And so I, I, I remember watching it. I don't know if I completed it or not because I don't quite remember the, the ending uh, when I was watching it this time. But it's, it's definitely something that doesn't leave your, your memory once you've seen it. Right. Uh, yeah, that's, that would be my experience. How about you, Jeremy? The way that I kind of intersected with media for like a certain part of my childhood was through like satellite and just, you know, just clipping or like flicking through each channel, even though I like I was probably so young that I shouldn't have had like control of this television at this age. And I remember clicking on Disney and seeing Return to Oz and I recognized, you know, Oz from Wizard of Oz. And I just I, I think I landed on the part where like Dor- it was at, it was definitely after she met the Gnome King. All I just remember was just watching her go through that like hall of, of little curios and just being like, what the hell is happening? Where's, where, where's the lion? Where are the songs? <laughs> where are my friends? Where All are my friends? They're dead. And then like it transitioning to like the horror escape of the things crawling out of the walls. All, all what we, oh, what, hell yeah. Like when you think gnome, you don't think rock creature that morphs through walls and looks like a hell beast. And yeah, I think it changed the channel. So yeah, this movie return to Oz, I guess you could call it a cult classic in that it was never wild. Yeah. Oh. Holly, did you see it? No, I had never seen it before. Yeah. I had never heard of it, but when I watched it, it felt familiar. And I don't know if that means that I have seen it before and I just fully evacuated it from my brain or if it means that it, feels exactly like watching Labyrinth, which I also watched as an adult uh, yeah, and did not it was, understand. It, it uh, plucks at the sh- collective subconscious strings of Western culture for some reason. I definitely feel like I've seen like a man deteriorate into sand before, but I, right. I don't know where. <laughs> yeah, this movie is notorious, perhaps, for being a movie that breaks children's brains. They watched it when they were way too young, and there's just aspects of it that are completely terrifying and i remember being afraid of this movie as a child so if you did not see it as a kid i want you to try to adopt adopt the mind of a child right remember what you were at nine years old and the ninja turtles were the only the closest thing to god in your in your conscious it takes on a different cadence the the wheelers 
the fucking gnome king who just turns to stone and then into flesh. It's very, it's like a scary movie. The casual decapitations just all over the place, all over the place. I wasn't afraid of this movie rewatching it now, but I could also see how it was very much like a horror movie. It has that feeling of a feverish mid seventies Italian horror film for sure. Just in its presentation, its aesthetics and the way it is sort of tells its story. And so I was interested in this because I wanted you all to break your mind watching it. I had hoped that it wasn't like a bad movie because I watched it as a kid and I remembered it, but I couldn't remember if the movie was shit or not. Upon rewatching it, I'm very happy to say that it, it is, is not Drek. It is a great movie. I, I loved watching this movie again. If for no reason than aesthetics alone, it is a very interesting and unique movie that I think we will never see its like again. It's matte paintings for days, and I love them. Matte paintings for days. We got, uh, like you said previously, Zach, if there is a non-CGI special effect in Hollywood, then it is presented in this movie in, in full glory. We got puppets. We mm-hmm. got claymation. We've got we got vaudevillian gymnasts contorting themselves in weird metal suits. It's got it all, guys. And so we're returning to Oz today. But before we can return to Oz, we got to go over there for the first time. Wizard of Oz, right? 1939, MGM Studios. I don't even think you really need to introduce the original Wizard of Oz movie. It really is, in many ways, like a modern myth. I'm curious now to talk to maybe like Zoomers or something that have never maybe seen Wizard of Oz, like what their recollection is of it. But like, even if you've never seen it, you probably know what happens in it to some extent. It's like Star Wars in that regard. You can't escape it and its grip on our culture. Uh, do you do you think that like very strongly like now that you bring that up outside of like trivia or pop culture or anything Wizard of Oz is not really in in like any sort of limelight anymore if you ask me right so, I would point right. out that even for me and I think I'm the oldest one here so you know maybe this is just dating myself but I think that the first time I saw uh, Wizard of Oz in its entirety was in school on like mm. just one of those rainy elementary school days where like the teacher like rolled in the TV, right? And like got, grabbed a dusty VHS and was just like, we're going to watch this. Awesome. But I'd imagine my guess, right, is that a lot of folks, unless they're like seeking out Oz, you're either getting it through the osmosis of cultural reference and not quite. The osmosis? Yeah, motherfucker, Sorry. you heard Please it. continue. <laughs> or drop the mic. That was or, my favorite. My favorite of the Oz books is Osmosis of Oz. Osmosis Jones. <laughs> <laughs> you beat me to it. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm upset. Please continue. <laughs> but um, but no, it's you or you're getting it in school, right? I'm sure there's plenty of high school musicals that do Wizard of Oz, right? Like, hey, raise hands. I was the Tin Man as a freshman in high school. I guess school. that's a really good point. Uh, musicals and such but beyond that i think it takes on oh god here we go it takes on a shakespearean quality in that even if you don't associate things with the product itself you know things like we're not in kansas anymore man Uh, behind the over the rainbow uh green yeah man behind the curtain witches are green because of wizard of oz right that wasn't an association Mm -hmm. that happened to that movie so like things have bled through to the point where you don't 
recognize them anymore, right? It's the conventions of this film, of this product, have become so commonplace that we sort of look at other things through the lens of it, even if we've never seen it before. Mm. And yeah, uh, school musicals. It is, it's, a, it's a thing that has been played over and over again. I loved Wizard of Oz as a little baby child. It also scared me. The flying monkeys are scary. Everything in that movie is pretty scary. Not just like the, the, the aesthetics itself, but the audio in that Judy Garland is Dorothy screams a lot. The witch screams a lot. There's a lot of noises that are very scary as a child. <laughs> The Wizard of Oz was the first stage production I saw. It also scared me because when the witch melted, I thought she was a real witch and that she died. And I watched her die. Would you say anyway, you an affinity for all things Oz? I am a child of Oz. I, I am Osmosis Jones. I actually <laughs> owned the book Wizard of Oz as a kid and read it a lot. And it's also very scary. It's very different mm-hmm. from the MGM movie. So it's scary in a very different way. It has like a much more fleshed out universe that has a lot more characters that are very alarming but i don't think i've read the extended oz universe but i've definitely read the wonderful wizard of oz the original yeah i i've never read all of them but i too have read uh, maybe from the school library like the original wonderful wizard of oz so l frank Baum wrote this before 1900 i don't know for sure and i'm not going to check because we don't deal with truth here but anyway these are fantasy books for children written at sort of the turn of the century, turn of the 20th century, late 1800s, early 1900s. And one thing they're well known for is their illustrations too. The illustrations are sort of magnificent and strange and alien, but it's from this milieu that we get the original movie. And at the time, this was like, Wizard of Oz was wildly popular at the time. Beyond the movie that everyone knows, it was constantly being produced for stage there were different stage productions different musical productions spin-offs rip-offs there may have been like a silent movie oz i'm not sure but everyone was oz crazy back in the day and for me the oz series the oz universe the cinematic universe of oz is a good example of a sort of proto fantasy genre we live in a time where we're crazy about fantasy we're crazy about dragons occasionally dungeons Uh, we're crazy about these sorts of things but we know them through what i would call a post-tolkien lens we tend to understand our fantasy in terms set out by J.R. tolkien in his construction of middle earth and what i mean by that is that our fantasy now has to have an element of world building to some extent world building for me is not like establishing a world per se but creating a system of rationality that explains the world of your text. What I mean by that is if you have a a, a magical book about magical children fighting magical wizards, uh, they can't just be the things in themselves. They have to exist in a world that exists larger than themselves. Things Um, need, uh, need reasons, right? Exactly. There needs to be reasons. Your magic has to follow rules. These rules can be whatever you want, but the rules have to, in some sense, exist. And to another extent, 
has to follow in some way the rules of our own world. We sort of assume that Middle Earth has a sort of biological evolution, that the creatures in this world follow the same sort of biological principles that creatures in our world do, unless otherwise stated. In Oz, the trees have arms and they try to grab you. You don't know why. I bring that up, yeah, because Oz doesn't give a blind fuck about any of this, right? It is truly what I would call a fairy tale setting in sort of like a a pre-modern mythic presentation where there does not need to be a sense of rationality. There does not need to be a sense of rules. As we see in this movie compared to the other movie, one day you can be in Oz and it's a happy-go-lucky world. You leave, you come back the next day and it's ruined, right? Time doesn't make sense. Space doesn't make sense. This is the world of the Fae. And also, so I brought up fairy tale as an aesthetic in our discussion of Mouse Hunt. And when I say fairy tale, I mean that like it's a world presented with the, the whimsicality of like a child's fantasy. But within it is a creeping dark malevolence that we can't fully understand, right? Fairy tales themselves are usually cautionary tales or stories meant to instruct people on how to interact with each other and with spirits. Uh, There's a certain danger involved in accessing this world, even if it seems like a pleasant place. And I think that characterizes Oz to a T. One of the things that I, uh, whenever I was, you know, kind of rewatching this, uh, but also kind of watching it for the first time, it's kind of playing like Inception with you, where you're trying to figure out if Dorothy's really crazy or not, like Mm. if she's actually like going to Oz and experiencing these things. And one of the things I started thinking about, and we'll talk about like the specific elements of the movie, but I think part of the uh, illogic of the film that like, oh, if you step into the desert, like, and you step off a stone and onto the sand, you'll just dissolve because it's the deadly desert. And it is very much the logic of a child, the logic of a dream world constructed by a child in mm-hmm. that thing A does thing B, but that's it. That's that's the shallow, you know, what's going on. Like, why are the wheelers there? Why are they on wheels? <laughs> why do they have know? wheels? Yeah. Why do they have wheels? Aren't stairs hard for these guys? Probably. It's just one of those things where as you kind of dive into a dream, you're not really worried about why. And so it's definitely has the logic of a dream world. And Bomb, I think, kind of latches on to that to uh, kind of expl- like not need to explain things, right? Right. But one of the things, as you were talking, Ethan, Tolkien was very much defined by his experience in World War One. <laughs> so, like, right. the Tolkien universe is, is you know, well-constructed. It has its own biology. It has – it's an old world. But it's also defined by war on massive scale. And right. this story, pre, pre-Tolkien – it is not defined by that, it, and it is defined by other things. That there's still conflict, but there, there's still there's still conquests. There's still conquests, <laughs> um, and there's an army. But man, oh man, it's an army of one. Baby. Army of one, baby. Uh, so yeah, like, and for me, consider consider an orc in Middle Earth or an orc in Warhammer, whatever orc you want. The orc has rules that it follows, and it's essentially a creature. It has all of the elements of like a biological being that we can associate 
within our world, we can kind of believe that an orc could live in in our world. And and movies like uh, that shitty orc cop movie, right? Was it what happens if an orc lives in our world? Um, I say that because, like, in Wizard of in the Oz series, the Oz universe, there is just an entire society of ceramic doll people. Nobody made them. They 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 just are ceramic dolls that are alive. And if they fall down, they shatter into pieces, and they have to be taped back together again. First of all, fucking nightmare. Um, but like, you can't imagine a ceramic doll person to arise, right? You can maybe imagine like a witch making a, a doll come to life, but a ceramic doll person, just like this this uh, contingent individual being doesn't make sense in our logic and it doesn't need to make sense in our logic is is what is happening in these older stories that i really like there is a sense of sort of trying to understand what fantasy is in these earlier books and some of them have a more world building oriented thing you think about like the, the conan novels or the the oh fuck fafner and the white gray mouse uh fafner and the gray mouse are the gray mouser. There you go. Well, see, that's why we got the expert here, the professional. Um, but anyway, they are positing a world that exists, and it was like early. But we also had this sort of interest in in things that were completely different, and that's what I really like. Uh, I also like looking back at Oz and seeing sort of a an early twentieth century look at what fantasy, what the aesthetics of fantasy look like. Um, right now in fantasy, we're very obsessed with like our idea of fantasy is inextricably tied to, uh, like Western Europe in a medieval or semi-medieval setting, uh, stone castles, uh, maids, maidens, dragons, uh, racism. You look at fantasy at this time period, you see something completely different. They don't really know how to present the past in the same way. You see a lot of um, sort of ancient Greek or like classical things. You see this in the movie, like people wearing togas and, and laurels and things like that. And you see that not only in Oz, but I'm thinking of like the the print works of Alphonse Mucha. Um I'm thinking of other things like that that present a sort of very classical and unique take on fantasy that also has trappings of the world at its time. You look at fantasy illustration from like the 1920s, you see like a lot of girls in in, in like bobbed haircuts wearing togas and, and wielding uh, scimitars and things like that. It's this very alien look at a world that we've kind of forgotten about. Um, also, anyway, that's uh, cool. for me, especially the final scene of return to Oz, it seemed like a, a sampling of our world, right? The aesthetic of all the buildings at the end was very much Victorian era, like Britain, Victorian. Um, and yeah, like neoclassical, neoclassical. You got a lot of dome. There's a lot of domes. You got, got the domes, You're but the, domes. The, 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 the garments and the citizens themselves, like while there was like some Victorian uh, suits and dresses, which there's like, it seemed like a potluck, a smorgasbord, a buffet of cultures, right? Where it was just all from all over the world getting pulled into this fantasy world, which, you know, once again, kind of 
Oz is a representation of, you know, colonialist power. Yay. We'll talk about that eventually. There, um, there's also a giant rubber frog man. I love that. Once he's just there. Yeah. He think of how do many anything. hours someone worked on that giant rubber frog man. Only for uh, him to just be sitting there just chilling. <laughs> giant Five. rubber frog man aside. I mean, it, it looks like a world's fair. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Which, uh, I, I didn't want to get back on a World's Fair discourse, but that is what <laughs> I'm seeing replicated here, mm. right? Is this sort of fantastic opulence that is definitely sort of like Orientalist in style and that they're trying to replicate this idea of a fantasy world that we are not familiar with. And it feels like the World's Fair. I am I am no Baum or Oz scholar, so I can't tell you if he was directly inspired um, I know he he at least lived in Chicago for a while, so he could have very well been to the World's Fair, um, to the to the exposition. Um, but I see that reflected in the Emerald City, uh, and and in the world of Oz, especially in the original film. However, I will take this point to to let's talk about the movie we watched, ladies and gentlemen. Return to. First of all, possible insanity. Um, it opens six months after the tornado that sent Dorothy Gale to Oz. And she is, she can't sleep, right? The first thing, I, what I really She's like got is... Oz the, PTSD. The first thing we see in the movie is a window reflected in a mirror and the window is askew and it's looking out into the stars. And I'm getting I'm getting paprika vibes here. I'm getting I'm like, oh, we're looking through occluded lenses to worlds we do not understand. But anyway, um, yeah, the first part of this movie is all about mental health discourse. Well, the first part of this movie is all about me- mental health discourse. And it's also like just a, an immediate like confrontation with the concept of death. As um, <laughs> yeah. Dorothy's threatening the chicken that is no longer laying eggs. You know, and is saying, if you don't get back to work, you're going to end up in a pot. And like, you think this is just some random throwaway dialogue, but holy shit, is that chicken important to the story? Hell yeah. Most important chicken of all time, perhaps. Um, Okay, right. We're not going to talk about the original Oz movie, except to say that like Dorothy gets picked up in a tornado, gets transported to this magical world where she has a lot of fun and a lot of fright. She meets some cool friends and then she comes back home to Kansas. And the big question presented at the end of that movie is that, oh, my God, all of the people I saw in this Oz world look like you. Thus presenting the ambiguity of was it really real or was it all a dream? Six months later, Auntie M is worried that her little baby girl is insane and can't sleep. And... Sides that the best way to fix this is electroshock therapy from a menacing doctor in a menacing sanatorium in the middle of the desolation of Kansas. And we see that she's having visions of a little girl, often in a mirror and reflections. And so we want to believe that these are all real because, oh, no, I hope this girl is not not crazy. I want to want to stop and point out, and I think the little girls are really important part to like kind of segue into this is that if you've watched the 1939 movie, 
And then you go and you watch this movie with the expectations of the 1939 movie. You have no idea who any of these characters are. Exactly. Yes. That's a great point. And not even then, because like 1939, Dorothy is right. uh, Judy Garland. She was 16, I think, when she did the movie. So she's like, she's not a little girl. She's a a teenager. She's a, a woman, basically. And so I remember this as a kid knowing the original movie and then watching this one and then the character is noticeably younger right 10 year old a 10 year old uh feruza balk so all you never-ending story in the craft fans rejoice goth queen darling feruza balk as a as a little baby girl um going insane in oz she's great in this movie i'll say i i thought she was like she's an amazing child actress in this movie i thought she was great She's also great in the Water Boy. She's a great, great in the Water Boy. Uh, she's kind of scary in Never Ending Story, isn't she? Like a, a a greased up punk lady. I don't remember that movie very well. Let's not forget American History X. American History X. She's a neo Nazi. Yeah, I find uh, her no. kind of alarming in this movie too. She just because she has, I don't know. I guess it's the eyes. She has sort she of has, like eyes like big marbles and. She doesn't really emote very much, and I'm not sure if she was like direct, except for when she like tensions are very high. But throughout most of the movie, she sort of speaks in what's primarily like a childlike monotone, and she doesn't mm-hmm. really move her face all that much. And so she just sort of like wanders around Oz like a unfazed little, I don't know, just like a little doll. And <laughs> I see, all these I very alarming things happen to her and, and she doesn't react she's at all, unfazed. I guess, because she's been to Oz before and so nothing scares her or, or something. But Yeah, she walks around like Hercules, right? Like a demigod. Like everyone's responding to her being back and they're like, oh shit, it's Dorothy Gale. Mm-hmm. Like she's here to fuck shit up and everybody's kind of like, whoa. Yeah, which to say to some extent in the books, that's what she is. That's what her character sort of is, right? Like this innocent child who gets sent here and through just accident completely overturns the the power structure of this world. So she is seen as like a godlike character. And yeah, I would agree. She is kind of static in this movie. I don't know. I kind of like that, that her one person is like mild disturbance, but not outright fear. She cries at one part of the movie. And that's it. I don't know. I kind of like that. I like. I guess she screams in the very beginning when she's running away from the sanatorium in the yeah, rain. The scariest part of the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the she me- screams, I guess, at the end when, uh, I don't know, when like an entire mountain is collapsing on top of her and her friends, which seems warranted. And I think she cries when she sees the scarecrow uh, and the scarecrow is taken away from her. Yeah. But it's just like one, it's like a like a Johnny Depp and Crybaby, like one very gelatinous tear. tear. That's all you get. Mm-hmm. That's all she has for this world. Uh, because she believes that all things are fantasy, nothing is real. I think it's interesting that the whole premise of this movie feels identical to what a lot of edgelords want to do with like studio ghibli movies that are like oh it was all yeah, just exactly. a metaphor for being dead and like all oh, these kids were dead the whole time and it's like come on man like can we not have anything right right can nothing and have so, joy that's why i wanted to say beforehand that like the big question of oh what if she just is insane and is and this is just a fan it was like it's like a hallucination that is the stupidest fucking thing 
I will not allow any of you to argue that here. I will kick you out and we'll talk about Oz, the HBO series, which is all real. Well, so that's why say, I think that it's really important that the movie like ends with a, like a confirmation of like, no, this actually did she happen. She is real. So Oz is real. Witches are real. Magic mm. is real. If you don't it, believe otherwise, get the fuck out. It's okay? the world's problem for not believing her. And that's why the sanitarium was struck by lightning and that doctor murdered in the fire. I feel so, like that seed of doubt of like, oh, is this magical fantasy experience actually mm-hmm. just like baby schizophrenia is to me feels like something that it only happens to like little girl characters. Like if you think about like Labyrinth or Wizard of Oz or Peter Pan, I guess it's always like girls who are having like sort of mat- transcendent magical experiences the who then one? just get um, like gaslit. Alice on- in Wonderland. Oh, Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just like, yeah. To- gaslit by the rest of the world and then it's it's sort of like up to you the reader or the watcher mm-hmm. to decide if their reality is real and it feels very that feels very gendered in a way that like I feel like there are lots of stories of little girls having to sort of navigate through a like fucked up fantasy world that they then have to extricate themselves from and also like rescue a lot of other people and like sort of mm-hmm. become this sort of like burden mother figure which is not even subtext in this movie. It's no, it's just text. It is, it's just text. <laughs> Literally just text. But I feel that's like a that's really a good point. That's a narrative that doesn't exist as much for boys, or if if that is a narrative, like I can't think of it. Like, but I think you know when I, I yeah, what I, I think of you. is like superhero movies or like superhero stuff or like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and like all that stuff is just sort of like accepted it's, as fact like just outright the turtles yeah. are real like the superman is real and like there's backstory or whatever there's lore but it's never sort of contested i guess well, um, i think that's a great point and yeah i wasn't really thinking about that so yeah just uh page master y'all are, y'all see page master with christopher lloyd anyway what's important well. there <laughs> is that yeah the fantastic elements of this young boy's experience are yeah it, it's not even accepted as truth by the characters in the story itself. It's just, it's true. It also reminded me of spirited away. Another Mm -hmm. movie where like a preteen or, or child like early double digit age girl has to sort of go on essentially like a self finding mission. But the self that she has to find is one that's very like generous and giving of herself and like, capable of rescuing you know an entire universe but also like humble and all she really wants is to go home and be with her family and I was just like oh like this is a narrative that we've seen before and we'll see again just like little girls having to you know go through an entire dream sequence just to be told like all right time for you to like grow up and be responsible in a story one that one, that one just... I don't that, remember the plot of NeverEnding Story. Me neither. NeverEnding Story I don't doesn't fucking end. That's the I point. Remember, like, I remember that. That's not me that, being, like, tried either. Like, like, but it doesn't just, it... 
Yeah, because he that gets, shit haunted my nightmares. He bro. gets like, no, he literally shit, yeah. the way and never ending story like ends, and it is like he is confirmed that like everything's real, but is that he hasn't left the book, but the bullies that were chasing him at the beginning of the story that chased him into this dusty old terrible library that had this magic book that sucked him into this world. He like leaves, and like the storm is over. He's read the book, and then the bullies are after him again. But then all of a sudden he's fucking riding that giant cat dragon thing and like using that dragon to chase the bullies and scare them because now he's pulled his fantasy into reality and he's getting revenge on those that have wronged him and so yeah like i think holly has a great point because now i I, now i'm struggling to think of when did i see like a uh fairy tale story where a girl went into a new realm and then came back and people like believed her and it was real. Like, I don't, I don't know if we have that. Well, and never ending story though. Like, isn't that also where he never actually enters that world? Like he reads about it. Right. But then he pulls that, the, the dog dragon out of the world. And then so that (laughs) he's able to, so I mean, it's, it's, Kind of different from those other uh, from those other texts, though, where those other texts, you know, the the main character is entering this world and is there from the start, and yeah, total isekai. The, yeah, I don't know what that is. <laughs> so what if what if what if what if an MMO was real life and you had to level up, and also the MMO was Oz and. Uh, you're Dorothy. Everyone isn't this the plot of Ready Player One? We we are we are devolved. Ready Player One is a pervert text. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but but uh, aren't so, all the movies we talk about pervert text? No, this one pervert is not. Text. This is a this is a beautiful movie. Okay, that's so good. The I want to talk about TikTok. That, wait, the only story that I can think of that maybe would align with this trope of like young boy character goes into a fantasy world to learn a lesson about himself is uh, Phantom Tollbooth. Ooh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, which is James also similarly. Um, Does he I learn about so. himself? I feel like I James remember. the Giant Peach, the arc is that he needs to be rescued. He's not doing the rescuing. He mm. is the he is being rescued by okay. magic from... I haven't seen that in forever. But, from, like, yeah, so, from trauma but like a cloud? Yeah. Are, are any doubts cast on whether or not his experiences are... He real? lands that fucking peach no, on the Empire State. Right. I was going to say, like, everyone noticed that shit. At the end of the book, he, like, lives in the peach pit in, like, Central Park. And, like, yeah, kids like, come to his real, house and visit him. Very real. Right. And all of the bug characters, like, get jobs in New York City. <laughs> So yeah, that's a good point. There is, there are no doubts. True, true. So working class, working class, they're working hard. Immigrants. Well, yeah, yeah but cent- he doesn't have to work. It's it's the centipede no already shit. had the accent. He was just perfect. It for ain't that city. the Big Apple. It's the Big Peach. Come on, Gross. come on. I guess the other right. thing about Milo from Phantom Tollbooth is that uh, there are no other characters really in that book. No other people characters outside of mm. himself. So it's all interior. And no, I don't think anyone really questions him about it later or, like, even asks about it. He doesn't tell anyone about it. It's just, like, you know, it's all about, like, I need to learn to not be bored all the time. And 
So I, think, I don't know that it's really the same or comparable. I think we I guess should there's, at least we should at least mention Chronicles of Narnia because yeah, I mean, that's that, exactly what I was going to bring up. Is yeah, because that was like the the trendsetter. I feel like of American isekai. Thank you, Zach. Where, <laughs> God <laughs> yes. damn it! Where, First of all, it's British, British isekai. I was going to say isekai. It's I'm the just original thinking, shonen I, isekai. Yeah, I, <laughs> fuck that. <laughs> fuck this. <laughs> uh, uh but no but no we're like they are validated but also at the same time like they go in and everything is built around patriarchy and validated through their patriarchy right yeah their royalty and and, and yeah a very christian theocratic uh-huh. they, they um, basically get jesus christ's lion endorsement damn so this we're getting the chronicles the- of narnia came after yeah i also think it's important though because oz is so such uh, an alien force to the rest of these stories that we're mentioning because all of those other stories barring Alice in Wonderland which was also a pre-Tolkien text were all very Arguably much the inf- originator yeah were, okay. they were all like you know deeply influenced by uh these like World War One veterans you know so I mm-hmm. kind of wanted to touch upon the like the aspect of fright that that Ethan was touching on with this, right this movie and everything. And um, with Hard everything to. else that we, we've kind of been spitballing and talking on here, I feel like scariness is like an, a part of most of those. Um, and it's because you, Ethan, you, I didn't see this movie when I was a kid, but you said no. that you, you, it was nightmare uh, fuel for you for a little mm-hmm. bit. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do, you, do you think that this movie is intentional? Because I, it, it seems like there's no like threat whatsoever, really, as the movie and plot progresses. And even Dorothy constantly is just like they're falling, you know, so many feet in the air to the to the ground, and and Dorothy's like, "Don't worry about it. There's nothing that can be she done is, about it now." Is, you know, and I like, love that. I love you know, that. She's I'm sorry constantly for killing like deflect. Don't like everyone's like trying to like. Oh, I'm sorry. I messed up. And she's like, "Don't." Worry about it like you know it's like she's never concerned whatsoever so it's like it's it's interesting but um and because i can't really put myself into the state of like seven-year-old zach um i i don't i don't remember him um but uh <laughs> he is dead and gone <laughs> he is so- lost Lost in Oz forever. Yeah, so like I I don't know if I if I could if I I would really see this as a scary movie, but uh, that, oh. as a child. No, oh, okay, I'll I'll tell you the two spook things specifically because I remember being spooked by them. First one is the Wheelers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would argue way, those are terrifying. Now. Like, there's definitely they some, are specifically some, yeah. the they look way like they a, a subsect of the Joker gang. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They look like Alan Cumming characters. From- <laughs> yeah, they're all fucking 100%. like they're the dude from Cabaret just wiling around. Um, <laughs> but specifically, the wheelers are cool because um, the way they put the mask on the top of their head like a helmet and then move it down. So it's a very uncanny valley type thing where you see a face, but it's connected to a body in a way you don't understand it to be like i remember that being, moth. yeah i re- well but the way the person moves with the wheels it looks like an animal person and and i remember specifically you see that first wheeler like come out from this like a, a little hallway and he looks forward with his mask face mm-hmm. and i remember like oh yeah that scared the shit out of me as a kid like that's one of them and it's like 
one thing to keep in mind, right, is the kids don't worry really about uh, threats. They yeah. don't care about danger of a situation. To them, like falling through the sky could be a fun thing. They care more about that that bald imagery of mm-hmm. something. It's um, it's it's the act of being surprised, encountering something yeah. that does not exist in the world that they have thus far encountered. Mm-hmm. That's the horror. Uh, and that, one of the things that I love about the movie is, you know, we start in the asylum which has very grounded horror, right? Yeah, that's what that, scares me now. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, like that. I got vibes from like uh, a lot of survival horror games I play. It f- mm-hmm. very much felt like the beginning of a survival horror mm-hmm. game, where like you get the you get the intro where she's riding the horse, and it's the cutscene where you know there's dialogue, and then the game's giving you backstory, and then she's in the asylum, and then you start hearing the screams, and then suddenly. You, this girl just gives you a jack-o'-lantern for no real reason. Yes, that's that was right sweet. out of fucking Suspiria. Holy right? shit. It's yeah, so just, just well, hands That's mom her. handing over Jack, you know? Right. Almost and, Halloween. Right. Like, that's and hell. Then, that and then, hell. That's giallo. And so you're waiting for her to get her brains buzzed out by electricity after, you know, When the they're, like, like, lay down, and she's like, I'm... I prefer to sit up and they're like, they're like what, you know, lay the what fuck did your down. mom tell you to do? We need to belt you down. Um, uh, and, oh, and, my, my and machine the, friend has a face. Yeah, exactly. That, that, yeah. Where this, these are his eyes and this is his mouth. And he just like cranks it to a hundred to make, move the tongue. But no, like it's also still that video game vibe when like the girl comes and frees her and now they're like mm-hmm. holding hands. And it's like, this is the part of the game where you can't attack and if you're found, you immediately die. <laughs> you die, yeah. Yeah, and so you have to escape the asylum like without making any mistakes. And I just got to say, I loved it whenever they hid behind the curtains. And by hiding, I mean like completely showing their hands and like their little faces behind the curtain. It was adorable and I loved it. And then once they run outside and the storm's raging and like the one lady's chasing him like, oh, Lord Jesus, if they like drown and die, it's my ass, which <laughs> it is. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. and then oh. she goes into the river, which was somehow less terrifying. She goes into a flooding river and then floats away to Oz, you know, just a different natural disaster. And then we right, enter that's... Dream World. Uh, one thing I do want to point out too, you know, this being like a uh, turn of the, you know, 20th century text, people didn't give a shit about kids back then like yeah they probably would childhood was not a thing auntie m wanted dorothy like to get right because she needed help like yeah exactly i wanted to say way back when like the problem presented uh how auntie m presents the problem to dorothy is you're no help to me in the morning that that's the that's the hashtag mental health discourse it's like you're you're too crazy to help me and so we have to fry your brain until you're normal again, mm-hmm. um, which I, I mean, it has a time and a, place, you know, she's in a caring family. No, yeah. We, <laughs> Auntie M, th- these people care about her clearly. They you know, do. And, and for me, I was going to say about like the head, the head nurse, yeah. right? She's presented as a villainous character because Dorothy clearly sees her as a, yes. as a scary but like her choices that she makes, she runs into a rushing river to save a child that's not mm-hmm. her own. Like 
she was just doing her job. But then at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, we see her taken away in a paddy wagon. And so mm-hmm. we don't like, like she did something. We're not sure what, well, there but were also, screams coming from the basement, right? Yeah. The, of, of what, how did, how did Ozma describe them? Like damaged, damaged patients, patients locked in the cellar, which is like real talk. That's what they did to the, the right. The, but I don't think that it was Ill. perceived as being criminal at the time. I think they were just like, no. well, what else can you do? You gotta with them? put a, you gotta put them somewhere. They're of no use to society, and they clearly cannot. Yeah, we're we're in eugenics land right now. Yeah. Like, like we can't let these people out into the world. Uh, so this is the humane answer. It seems like this movie was playing a little uh, fast and loose with historical components like oh for apparently sure. like electricity has just been invented but like when she chases him through the woods she's holding a flashlight yeah yeah there's that um so i don't know that it's worth it to be like well it wasn't really a crime so why was she going to jail you know whatever yeah i sent i sent some inquiries she went to, to some... jail she went to jail because uh the the witch in oz went to jail. <laughs> so also yeah i was about to say like in oz she's also a terrible witch that's why she's bad <laughs> Is she even, is she a witch? Everyone's witches in Oz. Okay. okay. Everyone. Fair. Well, she Valid. like takes her head off and puts a different head on. Like, I, it's just that seems like she black has, magic. But she just, it's just because she has a bottle of life powder. Every, everyone's a witch in Oz, I think. The moment the life powder I was I feel stolen, like they say the witch mommy like, like I'm, multiple I'm, times. I'm she is a, she is a sorceress. She's a, yeah. Mm, yeah, I guess that's a good point. Zach. Maybe she's just a. Just I can't. I can't remember the exact overpowered uh, person. Yeah, I remember them being like, "Well, in the moment she lost that, then she was point." And she was just like, "Yep, like <laughs> I well, have Oz, no power." <laughs> to quote, to quote, God Empress of Oz, Ozma, uh, I forgive you, Mombi, because Dorothy has stripped you of a, your power, and a witch without power is a miserable thing. Ah. And so, and so. Ozma the all-powerful allows her to live a a, a crippled life where she a can no longer access life. her ma- magic much like uh, fuck it no yeah in Warhammer where you remove the magic from somebody and so they would rather be dead but actually they live like this emotionally castrated life uh anyway shit off the rails anyway off so back to Oz we got uh Dorothy waking up with her chicken and I love that chicken puppy. That chicken so owns respect. What the fuck did they do to make that? Like there had to be, to be somebody like a, just off camera with pressure, like things like working that little chicken face. Like I want a behind the scene. Was it a taxidermied rooster or a taxidermied chicken that like was turned into a puppet? I don't know. You know, Great that's work. some next Great level work. thinking in regards to the time frame. Like that's like, what do they got? That's what they got. No. So I love I love Bolina Wait, like so it, like in eighties they resort to necromancy is that what you're saying <laughs> like they they yes. taxidermy you can put your hand up the chicken and you got a puppet like you know I don't <laughs> you just get your hand up in there I think the uh, the character I like the most is TikTok but the one that I identify the most with is the Gump. <laughs> I, mean, I think he's, he's just here <laughs> he's just here to experience i'm the wisecracking hint belina owns she's great she's so sassy the entire movie but it's all like grandma jokes that's well that's not something you see every day so, okay thanks we're a long way from kansas dorothy 
Yeah, I like okay. that, I like how we lost we lost her for a hot minute. We're like, where the fuck did the chicken go? <laughs> in that pumpkin's head the whole fucking time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I particularly like like there's a shot of uh Jack Pumpkinhead where he's not doing anything, but the chicken's still in there. <laughs> so cool. So good. There's All no right. sign of the chicken. We have to get this 20th century era train back on the tracks. Impossible. We got to start yeah. with the deadly desert and waking up. All there. right. So, yes, Oz is a land of contrasts. We awaken in Oz to the talking chicken, Bolina, who is my favorite character, and Dorothy in the deadly desert. Also a concept that terrified me as a child and also one that is that is part and parcel of the Oz canon. Oz itself as a kingdom is surrounded by a wasteland um, that if you just touch it, you turn into sand and die. Fucking cool. And and so she precariously escapes from this place by like very, very dizzily going from rock to rock. The idea being that like if she trips, she just fucking dies. And that's pioneered the- by our classic trimmers. Actually, trimmers yeah, yeah. Later, a- but but like so. We get the idea that Oz is a place that Dorothy wishes she could go back to. Like, this is a place where she was very happy. She had lots of colorful friends. It was a fun place. Uh, they all got massages in the Emerald City. They all got toys. We return to Oz to find a desolate, broken ruin. Specifically, we go back to the house that she entered Oz in through the first time. It crashed in Munchkin, Munchkin Land, the Munchkin Village. The munchkins are gone. And not even ruins. Nothing beside remains. Like this is the like there there's no munchkin land anymore. It's just forest. Yellow brick road is in ruins. Uh so all all artifice of empire hath been cast aside. You don't and get a song, Dorothy. No one gets yeah. something <laughs> yeah. anymore. No one gets to sing. Uh all you have are the wheelers. Uh barbaric savages that threaten to tear you into little pieces because you have chickens with you. I did really love the fact that destroying the yellow brick road really did nothing, but it was like such a, uh, a power play. It is a powerful statement. Yeah. It's like, it's gone now. Cause it's well, like, you can still follow it. Like, well, you still like, you know, like, yeah, but do you want to the, we, we must hearken back to our ancient histories, right? Like roads are a sign of the uh, power of empire, right? Civilization. Exactly. Like Rome was Rome because of its roads. And so if you destroy the yellow brick road, you've destroyed Oz. Exactly. Damn. Hardcore. One thing I like. So yeah, we get to Oz to find that, Everyone has been turned into stone. Uh, some of these stone people have been decapitated. And we find horrifying, uh, whimsical gangsters that roll through the streets, very literally, uh, as the wheelers. One thing I appreciate is that once they get away from the wheelers, uh, Dorothy like tries to reason with them, as she does all the time. It's like, we didn't do anything wrong. And they give an excuse for why they deserve to die in that a, she stole a lunch pail from a lunch pail tree and B she has a chicken with her. The idea being that like, there's still like that fairy tale of, Oh, kids should not do naughty things, but the rules are something you could not really understand as a per like, Oh, you broke a rule that you didn't know existed. So I'm going to tear you into little pieces. 
which is what he says. Also, they make weird bird noises that make them scary. There seems Second. to be a recurring theme of ownership in this movie of like who, like what belongs to whom and like who is responsible for like theft. <laughs> yeah. What is, yeah. We, we look into like, what is theft? Uh, and I guess I hadn't really thought about it, but it appears immediately when they're like, is that your lunch pail? And it's like, well, no, I like took it off a tree that was growing in the middle of the field unattended. It's not but the it, commons. It, right. It becomes a question of like, well, whose was it? Who does it belong to? Or even if it belongs to no one, does the fact that you possess it inherently make it stolen? Once again, hearkening back to the age of feudalism, <laughs> if you killed a, a deer on the king's land, that was theft from the king, right? Like, fuck you, you die, you stole. We, uh, yeah, I think, very, it's still, I think that's still true. <laughs> very directly later on, we will get into a discussion concerning like the role of power in the state and who gets to dictate what is law <laughs> from, from our friend, the gnome king. But first, we meet Mombi the Witch. She doesn't actually do much in this movie besides be an obstacle. But she's a very scary obstacle and also a very cool obstacle. Oh, we forgot about TikTok of Oz, uh, the most important character of all. <laughs> so TikTok is a brazen clockwork automaton that is presented as the Army of Oz, not part of the Army of Oz. He is the one-man army of Oz. He is wound up with three different keys to do different things, and this provides conflict in the story where, like, his thinking key will run down, and no one knows how to turn it except for Dorothy. What's important about TikTok over everything is that he is not alive. This is presented very explicitly, that he can do anything but live. And unlike a bunch of soy boy androids in sci-fi that long to be human, that long to experience life, TikTok sees his inability to live as his greatest strength. Indeed, says later that he cannot feel happiness or sorrow and that he likes that. He is a machine through and through. He loves being a machine. And if he is commanded to kill, he will do so without remorse or pity. That's also a, like objectively not true because later he cries. He, he didn't cry. Much like much he knows now he feels why regret. you cry, but it's something I can never do, but he does do it. He leaks some sort of co coagulant fluid from his system. Once again, like we mentioned earlier, it's not subtext, it's just text. Like he <laughs> he is a soldier and he is both a literal soldier and a metaphor for a soldier. He is told mm -hmm. when to think, he is told when to act and he is told when to speak and he is but given yes, the he ability to do so when his commanding officer allows him to do so and then eventually much, he's allowed emotion. Much like the Terminator, he does learn, yeah, like there is something worth fighting for besides the fight itself. He transcends his servos and dinking gears, his, his Babbage machine brain. Also, I love how he moves. He has, he, the way he walks is the greatest thing in the world. That was accomplished by a man, a gymnast, uh, like very painfully hunching over in the suit and walking with his hands and not his legs. He was hand standing the whole time and he couldn't see anything. The uh, way that COVID. artists will suffer for the art that traumatizes us. Much much like the Grinch. Yeah, like he put on suffering and that we could enjoy his performance. Thank you. 
He also <laughs> hates he hates being knocked down. That's the one thing he really doesn't like is being knocked down. And when he gets knocked down, he immediately starts screaming to be let back up. <laughs> and when he, he gets knocked down, he does not get up again. He cannot, he cannot right himself and he cannot turn his own gears. Later on, Dorothy says, it's a shame you can't turn your own gears because most of your problems are based on that. Not realizing that that must have been a design choice. That TikTok cannot power himself because if he could, he would probably kill everyone in Oz. Eventually. Much like the modern proletariat. Yeah, exactly. He cannot turn his own key. He can only be commanded and controlled by another. And that is the only constraint on his power. Mombi the witch. She plays a mandolin. Is that the instrument? She just chills out in her very cool, again, like um, a giallo style mansion full of mirrors and windows. Another Makes you wonder what she's like doing whenever, you know, she's not trying to murder and steal Dorothy's head. Like, how does she spend her time? Just She just chills. Just she chills. Has, she has no more uh, kingdoms to conquer. <laughs> the concept of, of Mombi and her revolving heads, it might be my favorite part of this movie. Yes, I think and that's that, a really cool idea. And that she she basically enslaves all of these these uh beautiful women and makes them an extension of herself but she can only remember the actions and, yeah. and memories of uh, of that of when she was in that head so like when when an, our next character is introduced he's like oh but she hasn't worn head 22 and like two two weeks so she she's forgotten about me and it's just like oh that's like that's a pretty like pretty cool downside that you know it's like the 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 padded the padded information in the back that you know it's your, as the uh to defeat the the villain i do love uh the hallway of heads the mm-hmm. giant yeah. and just like Every one of those heads What a cool is, visual. <laughs> right? Like, just an amazing visual. They're all real people in their glass boxes, and it just makes mm-hmm. me think of the construction of the set. And, mm-hmm. you know, we haven't properly gushed yet, but, like, I think its main strength are its practical effects. It's practical and, effects, yeah, and its aesthetic presentation. Yeah, and just imagining amazing. that, like, the other side of all those walls are just, you know, you just see people, like like with their heads through these holes, like just reverse horror, but also at the same time, just like, just imagining what everyone had to go through and all of the steps and the unique construction of putting like, I don't know how many, how many heads were in that hallway? It was like, it's at least, least like, 33, right? That's the number 31. There are like 40 people with like their heads. sticking through. Her head is 31. So okay, 30, at least 31, at least 31 right. heads. I'll say that's the other moment of the movie that that terrified me as a child, specifically when Dorothy goes to sneak something from the cabinet of her original head and her hand is right next to this head that then wakes up and screams at her. And then a headless body chases after her again, straight out of like a trippy Italian horror movie. And uh, like all the heads start terrifying. screaming. Yeah. So yeah, you're like running through a hallway of beautiful women, like all shrieking <laughs> at you. While a headless body is like coming at you zombie style, like straight towards you. That is a nightmare scenario. Also, yeah, Mombi has one of like her 
boss bitch quote to Dorothy of like, you will have a certain attractiveness to you in time. Not true beauty, actually, but a certain uniqueness. And so that's why I'm going to wait until you're grown up and then cut your head off. So like, not only is she threatening to kill her, but also like, oh, you're not actually hot, but weird enough that I find you appealing. And saying like, it with damn, a tone, bitch. yeah, saying it with a tone that this is basically guaranteed. Yeah, exactly. I'm just going to lock you up for decades, and then when your head is ripe, cut it off. Uh, so, Mombi is like, yeah, she doesn't really have motivation herself besides to be a bad guy. She locks Dorothy in a tower where we meet our next character, Jack Pumpkinhead, who's very concerned about his mommy. Um, and, and, and you know what? He is, he is a character of many mommies. He was created... Uh, spoiler alert by Ozma of Oz, but just as like an unliving scarecrow to scare Mombi, it's Mombi that gives him life just for fun. Uh, oh, she get, has the power to like bring things to life because she bought magic powder from somebody. Um, Do you, and decides, I, I, I just had a Ozma Ma, like hey, hey Ma, Ozma, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a metaphor. She is so. Ozma is <laughs> fuck. I, Ozma, I just had a like, whoa, like Ozma is like Oz, to, for for other literary scholars out there. Ozma is the Fisher King of Oz, and that the realm prospers as she prospers and withers as she withers. Um, Ozma is in essence the spirit, the essence of the land itself, and its and its divine right. Uh, she is the childlike empress, the god empress of of Oz, but but she has nothing to do in this movie until like the last thirty five seconds. She she's a ghost in a mirror that Mombi owns. Mombi is the one that is tasked with slaving Ozma and and keeping her is, from her power. So actually, uh, counterpoint here: um, is it that do you do you actually? I don't think that she's locked in a mirror. I think that she's locked in Dorothy's realm. Oh, like an earth. Because at the end, remember, uh, she allows her to look back. Oh, they got flip flop. You're right. Yeah. So, so through a mirror, she allows Dorothy to view, uh, the, the chicken and and Ozma and be like, Hey, like, we're going to check in on you. You're good. And, Uh but it, and, but and that's why she was like appearing in around Dorothy in the real world because she's locked in that world. But she's she can't materialize one hundred percent twenty four hours a day. Ozma, yeah, she has some ability to like transcend the liminality of these two worlds, much like Dorothy. There's some weird associations that imply that Dorothy and Ozma are in some essence the same person. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I believe that. <laughs> like uh, that, yeah. For a mirror image of her in Oz or something. And maybe, yeah. and if we're going to go off of that theory of like, if they're, if that they're the same people that the, the film kind of presents in a weird way, but like, um, that could explain, that could explain why she's been having, like she's insomniac and all this stuff because she's got two people living off of her own essence or whatever in the same so realm. This, there we go. Really what she is, is, Manifest Destiny and the Divine Right of Kings. So to get away from Mombi, they decide to wake up the gump. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry they engage in casual necromancy to wake up the gump. Uh, (laughs) 
Um, at this point, Jack Pumpkinhead asked Dorothy if he can call her mom, thus being the third mom. Women played an important role in Jack Pumpkinhead's personal development. So really, yeah, he is a very feminist character. Like yeah. he, he respects women, um, especially his mommies, um, all of them. Um, I too, yeah. I too had a, a mother who was also a woman. So I, you I feel like. <laughs> so I feel like had a mother. I still do. <laughs> so there's. <laughs> There's your natural mommy. There's the mommy that chose you. There's, there's so many mommies. Please, God, can we say any other word? Okay. Madrino. This is big Madrino. Also, is Madrino. I don't think he says mommy. I think he just says no, mom. He says mom. mom. Yes, he, he doesn't mom. take it to the that level. But um, Therefore, no said. one in this call has an excuse to say the word mommy. It's 2021. We're bringing mommy back. So the gump comes back to life. He has a really great ability. If he's attached to anything, he gives <laughs> that thing life and he can start walking. So, so, so hold up, hold up. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't want to call it necromancy at first because the idea is like you're creating a new life with the life powder. <laughs> so it's a unique creature. Just, just happens to have the head of an animal. However, the gump has memories of when it was just a simple brute animal. And so it is. It is a lich. Yeah, it's a necromancy. It's an. They commit necromance, um, the most forbidden of all magics. Well, um, it's it's like a reanimator situation. Like yeah, uh, uh, Dorothy is Herbert West. He has the mm-hmm. power of a magnet that can make the fridge come to life, which is pretty cool <laughs> considering powers. He can fly, but he like doesn't. He doesn't know he can fly, and he doesn't like know his like he says. I don't know if I could stop flying in a straight line. I don't. I don't think I can make turns. I wasn't made to turn. Yeah, he's Gump is cool. I particularly like his second configuration where he is just a walking sofa. Bones. That's so fucking yeah, cool. That's pretty cool. He can have whatever body. He's a mech. He I like that since body. he's already died once. He just like does everything without fear. Like, exactly. just like, well, we might die again. <laughs> Death has no power over the gub. He doesn't seem to. Yeah, they, they like lament that his body is destroyed. He's like, I don't care. I'm just, I'm fine being a severed. My head. body's but a form. What if you put him just like on the mountain and he became the earth? Yeah. Yeah. What if that happens? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, this entire time after they escape Bombi by flying out of a window, the, the wheelers chase them. They give chase for some reason and they chase them all the way to the deadly desert, which I think uh, has one of those like, you know how you have those like there's not even formative movies. They're just clips of memories of things you saw when you were three or four. <laughs> I definitely remember seeing like that, that wheeler just go, Oh no, it's the desert. And he like goes in. Yeah. Falls, they just like sand. six of them. Yeah. Just immediately turn to sand and melt into the ground. They fucking die. Yep. Uh, like, done. yeah, like six of them. Uh. Their lives are meaningless. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. We also <laughs> didn't mention a really cool thing. From the start of our journey into Oz, rocks will just 
grow faces and look at what's happening. Um, and not like some of them are very kind of like Easter eggy shots of like, there's one in the background and then some in like the foreground where you're clearly supposed to recognize it. Um, and this is, this is a gnome, a gnome without a G mind you, when a G is added, it turned into a whimsical little Santa elf man that creates clockwork monstrosities. David, the Uh, gnome, David, the gnome. Um, yeah, there's lots of names. Norm. I think also it's worth noting that by this point in the movie where they're flying over the desert, we're halfway through the movie. Mm-hmm. They're like still introducing characters. Right. No one from the original Oz movie is present except for Dorothy. Uh, very little plot has taken place. It's not clear why anyone's doing anything. It's just a constant cavalcade of experiences. Oh, just we do like see this. 50 solid minutes. The third of like, act what's is, is like half the film, which is, yeah, crazy. And this is very isn't overly long either. No. Um, I will say we, we see the statues of the Tin Man and the Lion. So we know, like, oh, they that's exist. True. Too bad the Tin Man wasn't there to be the fucking MVP of this entire. He would have bodied every wheeler. One one hit, pop pop, like that's his job is to kill. Um, TikTok is (laughs) discount ten man. Uh, so this is where we meet, and he has been referenced up to this point. We meet the the prime antagonist of our of our film, the Gnome King, uh, a king named Gnome. Um, he is fucking awesome. I love the design of this character. Let me just say straight up, just watching him be like go through his phases right as we'll talk about yeah. soon is just a marvel of makeup and claymation right like, there's so many effects going on here and yeah to show like this he is one with the earth and rock he just comes out of rock as a face or as a being um and he's he's very cordial right as we meet him he's a very congenial uh Congenial presence, and um, so we need to talk uh, about the negotiation between like a right. queen and a king. You know? So our first and the trading of lives, the first meeting of the gnome king is like I will say for a children's movie, a philosophical discourse. Uh, the gnome king is giving giving uh, Dorothy a Socratic dialogue, saying, "Oh, so you think if somebody takes something." then they should return it. Dorothy's like, well, yeah, that's what should happen if you steal something. And so our boy, Philosophy 101 Gnome King, was like, interesting. Did you realize your friends took all my jewels? Um, That's not what happens yet. But anyway, basically the Gnome King says he has the power to keep whatever he wants. And so he gets to dictate what law is in Oz now because he's the only one capable of... uh, producing enough violence right he's he's giving a definition of the state and when dorothy says well that sucks you should be nicer he drags her into his hell realm where we see all these beautiful jewels and like a wonderful 80s like green screen effect to which the gnome king gives out his uh his true argument that right the gnome king is some sort of stone spirit some sort of golem yeah like a stone an elemental creature that all precious gems in the world belong to him they were created by his gnomes for him to enjoy and so 
when the other creatures of Oz take these from the earth, they are stealing from the Gnome King. So the Gnome King is really just uh, reclaiming what is rightfully his. That is his argument, right? He has a stated philosophical argument besides I'm an asshole. Um, he is saying, I am the autochthonous ruler of Oz and I am taking what's rightfully mine. He has complete control over the situation at all times. He could kill all of these people with, with the, with the until twirl he, of until his, when he doesn't, right? Yeah. yeah. So he decides, but he's, he, he is an interesting villain in that he decides to give, we see that the scarecrow is his prisoner, but then he decides to turn the scarecrow into a trinket. He has this power. He's a powerful wizard. Can and, you explain to me, because I didn't, I don't think I caught it, but like how the eradication of people who remember Oz turns him human oh there there's no explanation it just like it's just like halfway through him like becoming more realistic he's just like oh yeah like with no one remembering oz i'll be able to come human it's just like well that's actually an interesting thing Mm -hmm. i think so as we we first see the gnome king as like a special effect Dude, we actually never really see him until the very end, right? Like, right. So when we're in the Gnome King's pleasure chambers, <laughs> sure. uh, Kubla Khan, yeah, we're in his pleasure dome. He is presented sort of in the form of a reclining lord. He has a beard, but he's still very much a rock monster. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when he presents Dorothy with the game of like, if you guess which of my trinkets is the scarecrow, you can, he will be set free and you can, you can escape. That's fine. He decides this game would be more entertaining for him than to just like destroy them outright. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, and this is purely a recreational choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, he's, yeah, exactly. He's an immortal that has basically has convinced himself that he's already won in his war against Oz. And so really he's just I mean, like rightfully. So he got rid of every single chicken. He's well, exactly. This is a big point. Yeah. Right from the start, we realize the chicken is what he's really looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think also that the Gnome King, uh, his whole dialogue with Dorothy is important because he's justifying uh, his actions basically to the last standing like trespassy, right? The last mm-hmm. person that like would have like stolen from him Mm -hmm. and so like him playing these logical games where she asks questions like well but you have so much like why are you taking it back and he's like well no that's not the point like he wants absolute power it's mine and in a way like what's interesting is like he can be right about that but still be an asshole like oh yeah he's still like an autocratic tyrant Mm -hmm. And that um, really deserved to like have like not necessarily deserved to have things taken from him, but didn't deserve the revenge that he sought. Yeah, that's a good point. And there's probably the question of, oh, this could this just be his justification for his claim to power after the fact? Who knows? That's not what what's important. What's important is he drinks molten silver and. <laughs> Dorothy pushes the cup away when she realizes this refreshment would kill her in a horrible way. And he eats limestone cakes. She does. She thought, and she thought it that was, was pretty good. good. It was tasty, but she did not drink the molten silver. 
So the Gnome King is all powerful. And as we go through this scene again, yeah, it takes up a large part of the movie is this very like slow, relatively progression of events. So um, I want to segue just a tiny bit, but it's all about the Gnome King, right? The, uh, the author L Frank Baum, he kept writing Oz novels uh, because they were what sold, but he wanted to write heady criticisms of the culture that he lived in, of the American like empire that he was a part of. And so eventually, because nobody wanted to read his boring, like straightforward stuff, he just started inserting (laughs) his political and social theories into his fantasy world because that's what sold. But I'm I'm digging into some of the analysis of the Gnome King and um uh SAS Susan Ron has suggested that uh the Gnome King is a distinctly American kind of monarch rather than a traditional king the Gnome King was more of an industrial capitalist and that his power resides in controlling a monopoly and she later compares him to uh king this king to industrialists Andrew Carnegie JP Morgan and John D Rockefeller American monarch is very interesting though he does Again, and we're comparing the uh, film representation of him to the book one, but like it is interesting though that he has a philosophy of why, right? It's like a Protestant worth ethic. He is he has a he has a moral philosophy justifying his rule that he because he is owns all these jewels, he owns capital, um, not even capital. These are conspicuous consumption items. He's a I- dick. Well, it's sort of like an inheritance wealth kind of thing. It's like mm-hmm. I these were made in like my lineage or like under my auspices and therefore they belong to me. And there's no reason that anyone else should benefit from them other than me. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and clearly like it's not like he's been the one doing the mining Right, he has definitely yeah. exploited the labor his, of his, his servants. <laughs> yeah, like they 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 were dug up to please him. Right. He's like an old he's he's an old god. He's Cronus uh, hobbled, and once again given legs. I guess I don't know. But what's interesting to me, and I don't know if even the filmmakers really thought about it that much. So as this plot progresses, he's becoming more human until this like. Uh, claymation effect thing is a human actor in makeup right i think he reaches this point first when mombi shows up i don't remember for sure uh but i think it's before that when he's like smoking his pipe whenever his eyeballs start to look like very red (laughs) human eyes as they might if you were like covered in pounds and pounds of like gray clay makeup there's a a phase where his beard is solid like fake rock and then it's Uh just a beard I paused and rewind, rewound the movie just to make, to be like, hold on. Was he like that just a little bit ago? And it's like, cause it it had me tripped. It was, yeah, it's cool. Right. And I wondered, I was thinking why they did this. Cause I knew like it went from a claymation thing to a human character. And I was like, why did they do this? Was it so the character could have look more emotional, like have human emotions later on? Uh, is it because they ran out of money and they're like, let's just make it an actor now. But it's mentioned in the text itself that he has a desire to become fully human. And that's, what's weird. Why you're a godlike creature of stone that can like, just, you can break the world at your whim. 
why do you want to be human in a way that TikTok does not want to be? Why do you want humanity? That's a great question. And I think it might be, I think it might be kind of, and this is where we can start getting a little bit like, you know, stretch our backs as we exactly. Um, I think I want to say real quick, I don't even know if the filmmakers thought of it. They just like threw the line in. So like, I think this is where we can speculate and where it might be fun. Like why, why does he want it? I think this is tied to him like wanting to erase all of the remaining uh, people who remember Oz because he Mm -hmm. wants to build his own, you know, like Oz empire. Right. Like, I think he like, like if he wants to be human, he doesn't want to live underground anymore. He doesn't want to be uh, the other. He wants, doesn't want to be alienated. He wants to rise up and to then take that centerpiece for himself and decorate it in his own making and I think that this doesn't reflect reality, right? Like this is all like metaphor, but I think this is also in its way, like the way that the British empire feared its subjugated countries, that if they let go, mm-hmm. that they're going to come for blood and then they will be the ones destroyed by the ones that they had been taking like so this character is clearly a work of of fiction and fear but it's just like oh but if we let them give them an inch they're just gonna do to us you know and wipe us out you know so we we have to be the ones that you know that's not british that's just uh someone wearing a tie uh but uh (laughs) the the true nemesis the true nemesis Uh, is the capitalist uh or the uh the um the imperialist like if we give an inch they'll they'll take a mile and take our heads with it you know, and so I think if we look at it through the lens, the capitalist lens of mm-hmm. the Gnome King is Andrew Carnegie, it makes me think a lot about philanthropy and like why mm-hmm. billionaires give. And like obviously a lot of it is tax reasons, but also the more they approximate humanity, the more they can convince the people they're exploiting, oh, I'm just like you, I have your best interests in mind. So that kind of if you, I, I guess <laughs> eat that kind yeah. of desire for not necessarily like a, a real desire to become human, but rather a desire for proximity to those that they subjugate in order to perpetuate their subjugation. Well, isn't there also that like parallel pursuit of immortality to uh-huh. mm-hmm. that, that, that notion of legacy? Right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But you also got to make sure that uh, you keep the the people that you exploited. You got to keep the commoners from uh, beginning to raise chickens. So you got to give a little back, right? <laughs> you would <laughs> think, though, Doug, that chicken. Uh, wanting to be human would be in opposition to wanting immortality. He's already immortal. He's right, just a right. big rock god. So I guess that's that's also confusing or like that's where this intersection of like I want to be enough like my exploited subjects in order to feel as though they can be comfortable with me and I can continue to operate the society without without insurrection but not so much that I lose power and and that is where that gamble becomes tenuous or where you know the gnome king has to really think I guess about does he really want to be human or is it just is it like that's where that theory starts to fall apart. I would think also, I don't know, like this is actually quite interesting to me. And the, the big surprise of the movie, 
for me, perhaps it's like, okay, he is a stone creature. We see the gems are interspersed through his body. So though he has all of this power and opulence, it is just like sand to him. Perhaps by attaining some semblance of mortality, he can truly understand the pleasure of extravagance, right? Like he can, he can, he can drink wine and he can, he can enjoy these very human enjoyments, these human indulgences that for him right now, perhaps he does not feel these things. Who knows? I think my, my other theory is that he just wants to be human so he could pull off those uh, Ruby slippers. Hell yeah. Well, so well, I mean, we did not I, mention he's rocking the slips underneath yeah. the uh he's and he like shows them off and he's like, check them out. <laughs> check out my feet, aren't they nice? Uh <laughs> but also that the ruby slippers are like a genie lamp and they have undeniable cosmic power. Uh and it increases his his godlike powers too. And also this is where he gives Dorothy the choice that he could just send her home and forget about Oz forever and she could be safe but she chooses to stay because of her weird friends. I read an interesting theory that perhaps, perhaps the Gnome King was human at one point came to Oz, uh, throughout the Oz books and throughout like all Oz lore. There is this idea that humans from our world have a certain power in this fantasy world that they have certain magical abilities or just an ability to control others. Like the, the wizard himself, Dorothy, um, and that perhaps he was some ancient human being who was somehow cast here, became the gnome king through powers we don't understand, and now longs to become human again. He's a capitalist! My mind immediately went to the lens of like Greek gods and how you know the lives of humans would constantly pull, you know all powerful gods like Zeus, you know, out from their mighty tower. And, and, and with, I, 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 off the top of my head, I don't really, I'm not that into Greek mythology and such, but, but like, you know, it, it's, it's attractive in a way, especially if he is a God, like, you know, it's humanity's weird. Like it's, yeah. So the maybe fleeting, the idea of like the fleeting chaos of mortality yeah, so like you know, if he somehow is, envious if, to gods, is, is if he is that bored and you know eternal and everything, then that that's that's kind of how I view it is probably more of a curiosity thing on his behalf. But but yeah, it is a very weird notion to to try to forego you know everything that is yourself for humanity, like you know. But but what's weird is that he he has to get rid of everyone in order to get that humanity. So, so what you're saying is return to Oz teaches us that it's hard to be a God. And it is the direct end result of, uh, being, uh, like likely the first anime protagonist. Yeah. Yeah. He was this Oz was his sword art online. Like that was his fantasy world. Can we just say when Mombi shows up at the the Gnome King's palace, he is such a fucking perfect asshole, and that he makes her like, <laughs> yeah, he's like makes her supplicate harder than it is to supplicate. Yeah, she's like lying on the ground, like she's bowing and lying on the ground, and he's like, no, no, <laughs> as he's smoking his pipe. Like, <laughs> what? A, what a fucking asshole! Beautiful bastard. Beautiful bastard. He is. Daddy Moto. (laughs) 
Polly's face is one of pure disappointment and anger. He's got big jewel energy. He's smoking a jewel. He's smoking a jewel. <laughs> he is. Screen. He's smoking he a jewel. Uncut gems. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Tying it back. Oh Tying shit! It so the way hey, that this hey. all comes to a head. What trinket was the scarecrow? When, well, when, this is the thing: is like Dorothy has to the pick. The scarecrow trinkets. was an. Oh, it's an emerald. It's an emerald, yeah. yeah it's an uncut it gem, baby. It was totally yeah. cut. I was going to say that the scene where Dorothy is like falling <laughs> through the tunnel of gems looks exactly like the opening of Uncut Gems. It absolutely yeah, it does. does. Oh, ooh, reference. I'm, I'll get him on Twitter. I'll ask. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> um, so the way that Gnome King uh, erases folks to make himself human is that the the game they play is they have to guess like which one the scarecrow is in his hall of trinkets. And he's got yeah. like a billion things and it looks exactly a very like much like an old lady's knickknack. It like, British this is Museum. A very, yeah. Like a 1920s. Like I just have all this shit from places we've plundered. Yeah. Check out this sarcophagus. And <laughs> like, I, it's so cool. And I love that. Like you can the clearly problem. tell that everybody's just guessing until like TikTok is the only one that can formulate a plan. And he fakes yeah. <laughs> running out of action so that Dorothy can, it doesn't help, which is like his, his brilliant plan of like, maybe if you see me turn into something, you'll have a clue. She doesn't you'll see learn. shit. Don't see shit. But yeah, her, her guess is pure choice. Literally closing her eyes and spinning around. Yeah. And just like feeling her out or something. She doesn't even like, like put any thought into the first two either. She's like, I don't know. Maybe this one. I don't know. Maybe that one. She's like, all right. I, or allowed, one, it was always coming down to one. Well, ultimately, every every wizard's flaw is that there has to be a, a, a clue. And right. there is a clue here in that everyone from Oz turns to green things, yeah. I guess. And I think like, that's canon from the book. Oh my god. But the, then she sees <laughs> she sees the ruby. And emerald. Like, emerald. Emerald. It's whatever. The, it's the chaos it's, emerald. It's dude. a chaos emerald. This is a Sanic origin story, too. Dorothy um, is capable of. She chaos. has to say Oz. It turns into the scarecrow and it just fucks up the Gnome King's plan. And he has to interrupt all of them as they slowly discover. And you would think, like, she only saves her friends. There's probably other green things in there that got exploded. But yeah, at the same it. time, fuck it. Right. She does make the wish that everybody be restored as they were before. So, you know, it doesn't she has, matter. She has Thandos Infinity Gauntlet power. Yeah, with point. them ruby slippers. With those slippers? When gets, yeah. When she gets the slip slip slips. Yeah. Yeah, she can do whatever she wants. She is God. How does the Gnome King manifest his ferocious form as a giant mountain of rippling stone? He eats the Gump's couch body. And he's like, yum. He and then the gump it. is like, it's okay. Savors it. Who does he get next? Oh, it's time for you, Jack Pumpkinhead. Time to meet Daddy, right? But as we established before, there's been a chicken hiding in his head, saying nothing for the last thirty-five minutes. Wisely saying nothing. Say, oh no, and laying an egg down the gnome king's throat. I leading- finally laid my egg. Her first egg in in years. Hold up, <laughs> the gnome king again. Gnome king like toxic masculinity, right? Okay. Is destroyed by the hen's capability of motherhood. 
the egg is poison. Also, uh, let's all just say poison together, like poison, poison, poison. poison. The poison. ultimate poison. The act of giving birth, the act of motherhood, the biological act of motherhood, is what birds. destroys him. <laughs> For birds, yes, but <laughs> oh, like man. it's the act birdhood. of breakfast. He ain't in that omelet. Line. I also like like just because it wasn't like I don't. It's, all right, it's a dream. Nothing literally has to connect and make sense. This isn't a Marvel movie. Zach. Remember, yeah, no, it's, I, it's yeah. a fairy tale world, and I think this is like the most fairy tale part of it. I like it that just like, mm-hmm. oh, you can't feed a gnome eggs or it will die. And Everyone how knows that. Is the writhing gargoyle creatures are screaming poison? Don't you know that? Yeah, he's just like, don't poison? you? He's like, how, why would you do such a cruel thing to me? As he, <laughs> his him. eyes, his eyes melt into limestone and he melts into a skeleton. So it's cool. Excellent. It's great. Very fucking, that was also very like shocking. I didn't um, realize the important connection to motherhood. And so after her wish, she goes back to Oz. They realize, oh man, where's TikTok? He's an actual war medal. She just has to say Oz on that shit and he's back. He's fine. He gets polished right up and then they go to a party because you know the what, war is done. What would have been cool? Because like, yeah, hold on. Uh, fact check. You said all living things be sent back. TikTok is very much not alive. Wouldn't it have been fucking cool if they're like, oh no, TikTok gave his own life but then he just like walks back through the deadly desert to oz and be like hey so well know, no so i can do um, this hey so tiktok tiktok everybody. was not returned back at the time of her living request he was still the form of a badge. yeah he was just like stuck on a badge he's already dead but yet the ability to turn people back is still active which i thought was kind of interesting yeah, he comes back. He, yeah, he's very polished for the last party where uh, our, we meet our friends. Dorothy gets a parade where she rides on the very curious cowardly lion puppet that I love. Mm-hmm. And there's a man who is a frog that we see for five seconds. I personally love that Bernadina decides to take on, essentially take on the task of, of repopulating the chicken species. Right, or she's got to she's got to lay some where, eggs. Where's the first rooster? Don't, don't you? They just lay eggs, right? Yeah, yeah. That's just chicken be, menstruation. They had to be fertilized. Oh, okay. Well, see, I don't know shit about chickens. Chickens so. still got a fuck. This <laughs> makes fucking sense. Yeah. So Can we please wrap this episode up. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is this is Zach learning time. <laughs> Yeah, Dorothy does not want the crown of power, but she's got the shoes. Uh, the shoes allow her to realize her shadow self, her Hoonjian alter ego, Ozma, who is the god empress of Oz. And by putting her back on the throne, order is restored. The grand imperial reignant of the Emerald City will endure for a million years, and she will turn into a giant sandworm. She will become the next Gnome King, and all that has happened before will happen again. Oz is a cycle, a flat circle. All of this is hell. <laughs> Dorothy returns. The house is finished. She looks in the mirror to see her friend who is herself holding her chicken friend who I guess gets to stay in Oz because like, yeah, she would just be eaten alive. What uh, does she say? She says, nah, I'm not going back to that ruddy world. Yeah, she fucking hates the real world. She wants to stay in Oz with her friends. Where she can talk. Eggs. 
And they need a chicken in case any gnomes show up. She does have a purpose. And then Auntie M is like, fucking go outside, kid. <laughs> Touch some grass. Yeah, and the last thing we see uh, is Toto, and I want to say, goodest boy I have ever seen in a movie. What a great dog in his few seconds of screen time. Yeah, it's really sad when, when we saw the separation of Toto. Yeah, and- damn. And, and, and that's the first she sees Toto. You're, like, You're not going to Oz this time, dog. It's oh, time. we should say that, like, yeah, for a little while, much like uh, Totoro or something, they just thought that Dorothy died in a river. Yeah, they just thought she was fucking dead. The sanitarium burned down uh, and the creepy doctor ran in to save his machines and burned to death. And that's a line they didn't have to add, <laughs> but they added it. They did say that everyone escaped. That's nice. Except for him. Yeah. Who perished in the flames. And then that, uh, one nurse, doctor lady, she, Mombi, Mombi got, got paddy wagoned and she's, she, she's getting out of there. She's a criminal. What a great movie. I, I did find movie. it touching that the, the finding of Dorothy is what relit the fire for her uncle to just just finish the house yeah like cured his depression yeah right he he was just like oh my gosh like everything like none of that mattered like you know and he's just just like those legs are by sweet lord they are they are kicking you know and and he finished that house in like record fucking (laughs) probably like yeah 35 seconds yeah they were just living in half a shack so Zach, you were today's years old, just thinking that like all those eggs at the in the dairy area, of the grocery store, like if you if you kept them warm, I'll just all become chickens. <laughs> Man, you know, I don't. I would not say that 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 is my was my firm belief. It's just that I don't know anything about the said chicken process. So, um, sure. <laughs> well, really, if you think about it, if you think about it, motherhood is the ultimate magic. I think really what we learned is that the chicken came first. 